Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be asking the question, who are the priests we need to save the church? Yeah, we're going to look at what characteristics a priest needs to have in today's world to really succeed and save souls for Christ. And what are some of the issues that are holding so many priests back today from fully realizing their priesthood? And I have to say, you're an important part of this. So please do pray for your priests so that we can truly become the priests that we need to save the church. We're here in the studio, you Catholic studio, again with Father Rich, Ryan. We've got Kevin Walls with us, the author of the widely popular book, uh, The Priest We Need to Save the Church. And we're going to dive in a little bit uh, about his story and, and talk about some of the, 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 the needs of priests, you know, and the character of priests that we need to help our church. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us, Kevin. Here. It's great to be here. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. Absolutely. So this, this is a really powerful book, and this is a book that I think is— generating some some real ripples um, through the church, you know, for those who really consider the situation in the church. Um, and that's because it's such a powerful story, and it's so straightforward in what it really addresses. And the fact is, is that the priesthood's in crisis right now. Um, the, the nature of the priesthood, the way that the priestly ministry is lived out in our modern society, um, there's so many challenges put on top of that, that our priests— are not given the the environment to really succeed and to be the ones who can really shepherd us in ways that we need so badly to bring our society and our culture back to Christ. Um, so this book, I think, really addresses that, and it uses the example of if just an absolutely inspirational priest that um, is really at the core of this book. And I think we should start that conversation around that. And and this priest is related to you. This was this was a priest in your family, correct? Correct, yeah. uh, Father. Uh, his name was Monsignor Thomas Wells. Um, he, for 29 years, was an absolute power in the Archdiocese of Washington. And I, I he's the type of guy. If you lined up a hundred priests in a row, and uh, you said pick out the most joy filled, the happiest, the funniest. You might be one, but he'd be second. No, he <laughs> no he was he was a a man attuned to the role of becoming a father for his mm. flock. So he for twenty nine years before his murder, um, Cardinal Hickey, the cardinal at the time in D.C., pointed to Tommy. I'm going to call him Tommy for now on. Uh, he's my dad's brother, and said, "Father, figure out that mess of a parish. Father, this parish is." off the rails because of this scandal, father figure it out. So he sort of hopscotched around. And in the process, he had made literally thousands of friends because he had met everyone and was attuned to their souls. He wanted to get them to heaven. And men who had budding romances, serious girlfriends, good, well-paying jobs, they saw the way he celebrated mass and they quit it all and said, I want to become a priest. I want what he has. So he just shipped men into seminaries. Wow. There are many men throughout yeah. America today that they're priests because of Tommy. Yeah, I lived there. One of the one of the ways I heard about your book was through Father Dan Leary. I I I lived in Silver Spring, Maryland, and Monsignor Wells came up in a lot of conversations. And a big um, shout out to Father Dan Leary. Yeah, love that guy. 
Yeah, he's not going to listen to this. <laughs> he, doesn't know, he doesn't know how to work a computer. <laughs> Probably to his own benefit, I'll though. I'll send him that clip in a message. He doesn't know how to work a homily. <laughs> <laughs> we need to cut that clip in and send it to Dan Leary, Father yeah. Dan Leary right now. No, like, uh, you know, Father Greg Schaefer, uh, who, I mean, like, uh, the the guy at University of Maryland. Father like, Rob Walsh. Rob Walsh. Like, man, I heard all these stories of, of him and they're like th- th- that was a defining moment in their priesthood you know because I, I always ask a priest like what 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 made you become a priest like we always talk about that and and it's it's him right it's like you know i felt god was calling me because this guy you know encouraged it and yeah they all left high paying jobs like you said and so, ryan you just the the two priests you just mentioned who yeah. were college chaplains because they were joy filled like tommy yeah those two in particular they actually left their lifestyles girlfriends yeah. all that because they saw Tommy, the way he raised and reverenced the Eucharist. They said, my God, the way he celebrates Mass, yeah. he, he knows he holds Jesus in his fingertips, and he becomes another entity during Mass. Yeah. I, my, wow. girlfriend, my girlfriend's great, my job's great, but that's deeper. That's so they, it, yeah. they uprooted and they became priests. Excellent. Wow. So I have, some, I have some questions and some things I want to really discuss about how this book flowed from the priesthood of your uncle, uh, Monsignor Relzer, as you call him, Tommy. Uh, Before we get into that, I want to make sure that we give our listeners a chance on how they can connect with us and learn more. Absolutely. To connect with us and learn more about this fantastic book and all the other various publications and productions that we do, be sure to go to catholictalkshow.com. There you'll be able to see every type of way that you could listen in or view. And if you do want to become a viewer, go to YouTube and type in Catholic Talk Show. Be sure to subscribe and click the bell so that whenever we produce a video, it will produce in your feed. And we thank especially all of our patrons. The Patreon app is a wonderful way that you can support our show financially to ensure that we bring great content to you, just like Kevin is bringing us his book today and sharing the testimony of his beautiful uncle. We want to bring more people into the into the concept of this show because this is conversations about serious things that we you know rooted in our Catholic faith. We love our faith and we love our patrons. So if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show and you'll see multiple tiers in order to support us to make the show continue into the future. Thank, Thank you. you. So in our initial conversation, uh, you know, we started talking about it and some of the, I guess, the spiritual uh, patrimony that your uncle left behind. Uh, but I think we glossed over very quickly the fact that Monsignor Wells was murdered. So can you let us know about that tragic event and and uh, the, the scenario around that? Sure. It rocked the eastern seaboard of America. Um, one of the grisliest murders um, in the history of Maryland, the, the deputy state attorney said, my gosh, this is, this is the, the worst I've seen. A man had stumbled out of a bar one night high on cocaine and uh, was drinking all night and broke into the rectory in the middle of the night and, and uh, brutalized him. Um, it, uh, it, it, rocked, it rocked the souls of many. 3,000 people attended his uh, funeral, 250 priests, deacons. He just, it was staggering. The, um, the heart of the matter is this. Uh, we, we, we can't see the spiritual realm, but there was, um, it was proven years later, these things can't stay in a bottle. The genie comes out. It was, it was later proven by investigators that um, there was activity taking place in that rectory prior to my uncle's arrival. So you mentioned that the archbishop kind of almost used him. I don't know if you've ever seen like, 
Pulp Fiction, where they send in the wolf, right? It's the fixer. Right. Make sure and they clean up these situations. And this was another one of those situations where Monsignor Wells was sent into to clean up a parish. Is that correct? You're right. Uh, the last two parishes where he served, he was asked to uh, look into priestly homosexuality taking place in those parishes. Um, four priests in the span of seven years surrounding my uncle's murder were at that parish who were credibly accused of, um, of abuse, and uh, they're, they're no longer priests. A third has disappeared. Um, rumors about him are, are pretty staggering. Uh, a, a fourth I just won't mention. So the fact that my uncle was murdered, I think, Ryan, when, again, we, don't, we can't see the spiritual realm, but when that kind of activity is taking place in a rectory for that many years— it's like taking Ouija boards and just throwing them around like Frisbees. Mm -hmm. um, great evil uh, is drawn in. Um, my uncle was there as a joy-filled uh, stopper of these things, and he was taken out. So I, I don't. he's dead. I don't really care. He's gone. Um, a great force for good is gone. But I relate it directly to what went on in that rectory, and, and there are dozens and dozens of priests in the D.C. area that believe the same yeah, I, I've in researching this book and and in the story behind Monsignor Wells, I heard some, you know, from your interviews, some very salacious occurrences there, and that um, like some of the first acts that he took there, like to really clean out this rectory and to remove that, and how potentially that could have also led to directly to his murder. Sure, the first act he did at the parish was rip out the hot uh, the rectory hot tub. Called up a friend, said we got to get rid of this oh, thing. Goodness, so. So, um, you know, you hate to dwell on these things, but, um, but uh, the fact is, this is the reality. Um, it, it's, it's just so darn tragic because, because he just, uh, he was doing so much good. I think, you know, I think Satan, I don't, I don't know how often Satan murders to take out um, a priest who's saving hundreds of souls from hell, which he has failed marriages, a guy's embezzling funds, a guy's cheating on his wife. Tommy yanks him by the collar and says, nah, I'm bud. Not, not under my watch. Satan wasn't appreciative. And when Satan kind of deals with what was going on in that rectory with those other priests, bad things are going to happen. So it takes a lot of courage to stand up when, when someone, when something evil is happening in the throes of your, your parish community, or even within the families that you are serving, there's a, a sense of uh, temptation to be complacent and maybe just be friendly. I want to be father friendly and really not enter into the weeds and the thick of, of what these dynamics are, are proving in families, which is destruction. So I am impressed by the courage of, of your uncle, you know, to stand up. And I know father Dan Leary does very, very similar work. And I'm sure yeah. he was inspired by your uncle to do what he does still today. But that courage to be able to stand up for truth and justice and to be able to confront sinners and admonish them to draw them into the greater virtue and communion that Christ is calling them to is beautiful work. And it's one that shouldn't be met by fear, but by trust and surrender to the divine providence of Christ calling priests into that specific work. That's why we become priests is to do exactly that. But there is there there are powers that be that can lead us through temptation into a form of complacency or even much worse what we're what we're hearing you describe. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage in today's world for a priest to stand up to things that should not be happening and address them. Uh, they put so much on the line when they risk their reputation and their 
career, essentially, to be a resolute force against these things that are destroying the church. And there's not enough priests doing it. Um, and it's a real tragedy. And when we have a good one that we, you know, lost in such a, a tragic way, it, it compounds the issue. But he left behind so many priests in his, um, you know, in his wake that I, I hope, hopefully that his legacy gets to live on it, through their priesthoods as well. It, it is it is living on. Um, yeah. it, it, it's matter of fact, it's kind of funny, Ryan. Um, I've heard that some of these heirlooms that are now priests that were close to Tommy back in the day, when they celebrate mass and during the consecration, when they raise the host, that people say, my gosh, it was like they crawled into the skin of Tommy. Um, he, it, it's a beautiful sort of lineage that he's left. So it's, um, it, it, there is some, uh, there is some beautiful fruits from, yeah. from his death. So in looking at his life, what inspired you to write this book? Ah, we finally get to it. So, he, so here's, here's, um, nine years ago, um, I had an aneurysm in the middle of the night and <clears throat> should have died. It's called an arteriovenous malformation. Um, many people die instantly. Uh, I was rushed to the hospital and, um, nothing was working. The shunts that they were jamming in my head to try and embolize the bleeding wasn't working. They, they tried to go up my groin into my brain to, to glue the malformation. The blood was drowning my brain. So finally the surgeon went in and he said, we got to, we got to try and get to this thing and, and embolize it and glue it. And, uh, um, that didn't work either. So this was the day for me to die. Um, Krista, thank God, Chris is my wife called Tommy's best friend, father, James stack and said, get up here. Kevin's, Time for Kevin to go, aka Stackman. Stackman, thank you, Ryan. So we're so we're gonna call him Tommy and Stackman for now on. So Stackman comes up from Hyattsville, Maryland, uh, to Baltimore, and he's praying the Divine Chaplet, and he's calling on the Maryland Saints and other Saints. And here's what he said happened: He had just started a healing ministry due to a sort of a supernatural event in Guadalupe. So he comes into my dark ICU room, and he comes down my bedside, and and I was incapacitated because of the surgery. And he says, hey, Kevin, um, we've been calling on the Baltimore Saints, the Maryland Saints. Is there any saint that can intercede for you now? And he said that I opened my eyes, and so did his assistant. And I said, bring Tommy down. I need Tommy now. So he's like, he stands up like a V8 moment. He said, Cord, what, what an idiot I am. I mean, give me a break. It's your, it's your <laughs> uncle, man. Yeah. yeah. That so stack man, though. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, stack man. it's got a lot on his mind. It's yeah, a lot on his mind. So he goes to the foot of my bed and he said, Hey, hey, buddy, he's calling on his best friend now. He said, Hey, buddy, your nephew Keggy, he just asked you to save his life, save his life. Mm. And uh, thereafter, right after, uh, this dark room started to fill with lights, popping lights, and the whole temperature of the room changed to like uh, almost like sitting in front of a fireplace coming in from the cold. And Stackman said, Kevin, I felt the whole heavenly court surrounding your bed and Tommy was standing next to me. And I knew what Krista told me, what the surgeon said about the failed brain surgery. But I also knew that I was standing in the midst of a miracle and I knew that you were healed. So I'm not dead. So I'm yeah. talking to you guys. So <laughs> I don't know. Man. Is that spirit? Is it's, that, good. it's good. I don't know. It's like, just saying that, I feel like I'm in the heavenly court now. I'm like, where am I? That's beautiful, man. So I yeah. So the next day, they stuck me in an MRI tube, and it was all gone. The blood, the fluids, the arteriovenous wow. malformation. So so 
to answer your question, and, and I'll try and make this brief, why, why the book? In the, in the aftermath of healing, I, I couldn't get out of bed. I had brain surgery. I'm, I'm an old sports writer. I'm like, what, what? And I started to think, priests, my God, priests, they have the power to heal. A dead priest in heaven and an earthbound priest, stack man, combined to take my broken head and heal it. So I said, man, these priests are extraordinary. The supernaturality that God has poured into them is extraordinary. So I started to think more and more and more about the power of the priest. Wow. That is powerful. I know this is a talk show, but I'm speechless. I know. (laughs) What a beautiful testimony. That must have been when I was there. uh, Was that like, you said eight years ago, right? Uh, I was in 2000 and 2009, actually 10 years ago, 2009. Yeah. I was there. Uh, yeah. I, I was there because uh, Father Stack uh, had just had this conversion in Guadalupe and I actually went down there with him on his second trip. Oh, did you? And uh, I consecrated all of our work at Fuzadi and, you know, you know that mm-hmm. we consecrated our, our company. Careers to, to yeah, Our Lady. Careers yeah. to Our Lady. There. On top of the hill? When mm-hmm. I was with Father Stack, yeah, we it was crazy, man. It was absolutely crazy. Just, and then we consecrated our work together when we started the internship and went down to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and that's what gave rise to this show that we're yeah. we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bearing fruits. Yeah, bearing fruits. It's bearing yeah, so much. It's, like, it's yeah. like I I sense uh, even uh, Father Wells is still, you know what I mean, like still working. <laughs> yeah, he he's uh he's around in a lot of people. He, I mean, when yeah. when when a priest acts as a father, father. There's an indelible stamp that's put on the soul. It just doesn't leave. Um, so whether it's nephews or nieces or brothers or, or all these priests or his thousands of friends, you know this, Father. At, when you act as a father attuned to souls, that stuff doesn't go away. Yeah. You're hooked. You're hooked yeah. in. So mm-hmm. I think that's why Tommy's still around. That's a good point. Uh, attuned to souls. So it's like an, a, conscious, a, a consciousness as a father to souls. You know, I haven't heard it said said that like like explicitly, you know. And the and the realities of the priestly office as it relates to healing are intimately bound. And you're pointing to that very clearly because one, you experienced it firsthand, but it is the essence of the priestly ministry. Christ is sending people forth men forth, priests forth, with the authority over every unclean spirit and to heal in his name. But there, there's a, a sense of concern for a number of brother priests of mine to not get into that ministry for many different reasons. One, it could be a lack of faith that they, that they have the capacity in their office or they feel unworthy. You know, it's not about our unworthiness. No, it's about our commissioning. It's about his authority, not ours. He's the one who commissions. Uh, Father, you nailed it. Um, and also, I think, I think we know you, you can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it, whether it's a lack of faith, but you just said it's the Great Commission. And, and it's, you know, it's scripture. It's scriptural. Jesus says, go and heal. Um, I, I find it striking, even staggering, that more priests aren't attuned, again, to, I'll use this word, this supernaturality that's been poured within them, poured wide. <laughs> You can heal. You've been in, when you when you were anointed, Father. You know this. You lay down, nose and kneecaps to the cold floor. You woke. You stood back up. You looked at the crucifix and you said, "Ah, I got my work cut out. Um, it's time for me to die now. I've been commissioned." And part of that commissioning is 
acting as a priest. And part of that is healing others, healing souls, healing those that are lost in a muddled mess of sin, but also in my brain, physically touching, anointing, healing. And, and, and the fact that, um, I'll be candid here, the fact that a priest wouldn't grasp that in his role as a priest, as a father, um, it, it, it confuses me. Mm-hmm. So you said something in, in one of the things that I read that you had written, and it really struck me, is that a lot of times the modern priesthood is turned into little more than bachelors doing civil service, and that they've lost the supernatural character and the Christ-centric, um, just, uh, I, I would say the 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 supernatural power that they have by the virtue of their priesthood. And that really struck me that there is so many times where a priest is little more than a civil service person who just happens to be a bachelor. And that, that power and that uh, communion with the, you know, with heaven is lost in all of it. Social, oh, social workers with collars. Yeah. yeah. A lot of that. It's like, I, you know, being in the seminary, uh, you know, you, you saw a lot of, you saw some people forming you in ways that were geared towards that, you know, and then you had others that were gearing you towards what we're talking about, this ontological, this character, this indelible mark that's placed inside of you by the Holy Spirit. This is like a real thing. And I always talk to Father Rich because we're like, we're, we're like, you know, brothers from Spirit another mother. Animals. Yeah, I mean, we're just, I mean, we're like uh, so close to the same person, you know, but he's a priest and I'm a, I'm a father and... I always like ask him questions, you know, about what he sees in certain situations, you know, like when he is anointing somebody or, um, you know, dealing with his children at the parish and, and how he gets inspired in different ways because of this indelible mark, Mm -hmm. right? The supernatural I receive is the Eucharist confession. He receives it through this, this, this real transformation of his heart that created yeah. him. And there was a, a beautiful moment when we were together consecrating our work that's now in the Catholic talk show and, and um, the productions that we do. But we passed in front of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I expressed to her, I said, Mom, I, I just want to minister to your people. I want to serve your people. And it was just a simple, simple prayer from my heart. And I went around the corner to the Adoration Chapel, and next thing you know, people just start, one person came up for prayer, for a blessing, a blessing, and I closed my eyes, and I was praying healing over her. Yeah, and I opened up my eyes, and there were forty people around me. And the wow. next thing you know, okay, I had knee surgery like two days before, so I'm like in a wheelchair, and. <laughs> And this dude, this dude starts blessing people. Where, where was your like, healing then, Padre? <laughs> <laughs> I was pushing the wheelchair. I was pushing the wheelchair. Civil service. So, you know, I see... I, I see Touche, my friend. I see a few people, you know, and... Uh, yeah, civil service, my friend. Uh, my friend, not my father. Uh, you know, so, yeah, it's it, it, it was like watching him heal and then these people coming around and like it was a beautiful moment. How for much me. they gravitated towards they that just, ministry. They mm-hmm. just they just they're they're, they're thirsty for a mm-hmm. father. They're like uh, they're thirsty for a man in a collar. Yeah, they, they sense something in a priest yeah. that will draw them deeper. Um, and and to, to circle back to your question about bachelorhood. Um, so, so I conducted dozens and dozens and dozens of interviews with exorcists, formators, rectors, priests, laity. And here's what I've determined. And, and Father, tell me if this rings true. 
I met a holy priest, a 92-year-old exorcist in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Monsignor John Essa. Oh, I love that guy. Here, Father Rich, here's what he told me. So, as you know, he was Mother Teresa's spiritual director and confessor. Powerhouse, dude. Padre Pio, the bi-location story. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. it. If you don't know the Padre Pio, Monsignor Essa bi-location story, look it up on YouTube. It's fascinating. But here's what he told me. I said, Monsignor, I've sent my book proposal out to eight Catholic publishers. None of them want it. They're all telling me that, Kevin, you have no right to tell a priest how to be a priest. Too arrogant. And I'm like, you know, I get it. I get why you think I'm saying that, but that's not it. I've written this because I'm telling a priest for what I thirst for. And I said, Monsignor, again, I'm talking to a saint, a future saint. And many think he's going to be a future saint. He reads souls. He's a reader of souls. And he said, Kevin, you write this book. Monsignor, um, but you don't understand. I feel judgmental now, and publishers are in my head now, and they don't. Kevin, you write this book. And I'm like, why, do you, what you, why are you saying this? I was asked by Mother Teresa in the 70s, 80s, and 90s to form priests, to get the heck out of India and stop feeding the poor. She said, you form priests. And when I started going to seminaries throughout America, here's what I saw. It was the sick womb of Holy Mother Church, where if you were an intentional, strong man who wanted to become a priest, you were going to be aborted in that womb. Mm. And if you were malformed in that womb, and if you weren't being taught to pray the breviary, the rosary is not important, absolution, and eh, a little Catholic hocus pocus there, you were going to be promoted. He said, the priests that I saw 20, 30, 40 years ago, they are, I'm sorry, the seminarians that I saw 20, 30, 40, they are today's priest. You write this book. And here's what he said. If you are anti-Mary, if you're anti-prayer, if you're anti-Eucharist, you are of the demonic. Mm. Mm. Write this book. So that's when I said, you know what? Maybe no one will read this book, but I'm going to finish it. I'm going to get this thing done because a saint just told me to, because he was firsthand account knowledge of the devastations of some of that liberal, liberal imprimatur that came out of Vatican II. Um, that was misread. So, um, so thank you for saying that it was misread and it was misinterpreted and misapplied. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times the division in the church now, when people put it in left or right or progressive or conservative, it really comes down to the character of what the ministry should focus on. And the left really has the focus on the ministry of practicality of service to the poor, the preferential option for the poor, for immigrants, for, um, the ecology for all of those things that are very directly in our face mm-hmm. death penalty. And, the, and the right and the, the death penalty. I, I agree with that. There's, you know, but then for the people who are on the right, it's really more about that spiritual warfare and about that. Um, the focus sometimes can be overemphasized on um, piety. Right. And it really, I, the more and more I go on, I need, I see that balance that we need both. We need both. We have to, take care mm-hmm. of the poor like they are Christ themselves. Like St. Martin, who I named my son after, he treated a contemptible street beggar as a person and found that it was Christ. And we need to do that too, but not at the expense of piety. But we can't get so pious in our preferences for particular liturgical practices that we lose sight of the fact that there is a supernatural character to, for the care of the poor as well. And this has become so imbalanced that it mirrors the American political system of left and right and just endless yeah. fighting that it is 
crippling the church. Yeah, so so Ryan, that that point about St. Martin of Tours, he's a favorite of mine, and what he did that day, you know, on the way to Gaul, is he was a catechumen, Mm -hmm. and he wasn't even Catholic. He was studying to enter this church, and he halved that robe. I, I think what needs to happen for me, for the laity and bishops and priests, is once we start to have our level of comfortability, once we start to have our level of, eh, I just want to kind of check out, I'm home now with the kids, I had a long day at work. Once we start to have anything that distracts from this level of holiness, this level of, I got to get into the grind, into the trenches to become the man that God has willed me to become. Once we have that, the, the dross, mm-hmm. then this, 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 this world, uh, men, priests, bishops, all of us will start to come back because it's Christ on the cross Absolutely. who gave all. All we're doing is having. Mm-hmm. He gave all. That's awesome. That, you know, that's, that's a great, that's a great way to put it though, because circumstantially, and I say this all the time about my life, if I wasn't a priest and I didn't have the structures of Holy Mother Church ordering my life every single day, I would be a hot mess. <laughs> I really kind of a hot mess. I'm a hot now. mess now. Yeah. I'm a hot it mess would now. just be off the rails. This would be yeah. off the rails. Like lava, <laughs> lava temperature mess. <laughs> I thank God that I have an order to my life. I truly adore Christ on the cross and I wake up every day and yeah, some days are really, really long and they're laborsome and it's painful and there's suffering. But when you look to the cross of Jesus Christ, he's already won the victory and he's given all. And it's like, he's sharing this with me. He's inviting me into this way of life. I wouldn't want to do anything else with my life. Granted, I see my limitations. I look in the mirror. I look at my limitations every day. My sin is ever before me. Like St. Paul When you look in the mirror. Yeah, well, I'm while well, I'm working my soap opera beard and all that. <laughs> Look at these limitations. <laughs> but I suffer. But the the whole sense of what a priest is at the very identity of priesthood is exactly what you're describing in St. Martin, in Monsignor Wells, in Dan Leary, in, in Stack... I haven't met... Stackman. The Stackman. I've got to meet the Stackman. Dude, but it, it reminds me of Fulton Sheen's words in A Priest Is Not His Own. Oh, yeah. I love this book, and I just want to share this little reference with you. We who have received the sacrament of orders call ourselves priests. The author does not recall any priest ever having said, I was ordained a, quote victim, nor did he ever say, I am studying to be a victim. That seemed almost alien to being a priest. The seminary always told us to be, quote, good priests. Never were we told to be willing victims. And yet was not Christ the priest a victim? Did he not come to die? He did not offer a lamb, a bullock, a dove. He never offered anything except himself. And the structures of Holy Mother Church, if you are responsive to her, yeah, you feel like you're going to die sometimes. You really do. And, and you're, you're feeling the pressures, especially when you're doing healing ministry. And, and the one aspect that I've heard from priests is, yeah, I believe in that capacity. I believe in that ministry. But when I step into it, man, am I attacked, attacked spiritually. And it's true. Yeah. Now, that is actually some really excellent insight. And I think there's also some things that we can help for our audience that can help them find some of those structures within the church too. And that's from some of our sponsors. We want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Exodus 90, as well as Hallow. 
Exodus 90 is a great program out there for all men considering taking the next step in their faith journey. With other brothers, they spend 90 days living austerely and praying and performing different acts of penance and austerity. Now, I've done this experience. Cold showers aren't too bad. And praying through Exodus can only give you a greater sense of an impetus to break through the chains of your own life with other brothers finding greater freedom in the prayer life. We also want to recognize our sponsor, Hallow, a great application that has quickly become the number one prayer app on the App Store. So be sure to check out Hallow, and there you'll find all these beautiful prayers that they've uploaded from daily meditations to rosary to scripture, Lexio Divina, and so much more. These young people were inspired by the applications like Calm that are out there, and this helps people calm down and meditate and center their thoughts. Well, this is a great form of meditative prayer in the Catholic tradition that's being driven through an application. Hallow creates a wonderful sense of our Catholic heritage of prayer, and they have just about everything, and they're continuing to expand their product as time goes on, so be sure to check them out. And if you do, visit their website and use the promo Catholic Talk Show, and you'll get premium contact for, for content for 30 days. And by using that, you'll be able to explore their full capacity of what they're offering. So be sure to check out Hallow, a great app for prayer. Yeah, those programs really will help uh, help the laity in ways that we're talking about that this book can help uh, the clergy. So getting back into it, you know, specifically what virtues and what practices do today's priests lack that is preventing them from being the kind of priest that the church desperately needs? And, and well, first of all, let me, let me introduce this. Kevin, from the first moment I met you, brother, you have such a passion and a love for the church, and you could feel it, you know, from the very, very depths of your expression and the way that you communicate. It's very, very evident. So I need to say as a priest, on behalf of my brother priests in the church, thank you for doing this. Thank you for writing this book. And I am open hearted to receive your ministry because I don't sense any air of judgment. I, I sense an air of love. And you're crying out, like you said before, from the depths of your your need for a father and a need for priestly ministry in in your life. That sounds like it was really awakened by your your uncle, you know, your Monsignor. I, thank you very much, Father. It it, it was, um, you know, I lived in his shadow for forty years, and I never quite knew the magnitude. But um, a, a priest lives in the wound of Christ on the cross, and and um, it marks his identity and and. As far as, Ryan, to answer your question, as far as maybe the, the characteristics, again, this, this book was written out of love. Um, it actually, it was written for Our Lady of Sorrows. Um, I, I think she's understood what guardian angels standing watch have understood for so long, and that is that many priests and bishops are, um, we'll go back to that term, maybe have embraced somewhat of a bachelorhood lifestyle. So, I, I've seen through holy priests, um, I've read the biographies of the greatest priest saints in the history of the church, Vianney, Bosco, Colby, Neri, uh, Damien the leper. Um, I've seen eight characteristics ontologically. A priest must simply receive, and if he receives these four, he can do the other four, and it's easy. Number one, he's got to be attuned to the Eucharist. He needs to be around the Eucharistic face of Christ because that's where the graces come. Number two, he's got to have a wildly 
impressive devotion to our Blessed Mother. I feel like if he doesn't, that his priesthood is left unprotected. Jesus from the cross said, Mary, stay with John. Number three, I I do think he's got to be a man of deep prayer. Without prayer, the umbilical cord is cut off. So maybe a priest doesn't think that he can engage in the healing ministry because he's not attuned to the graces that come through prayer. The umbilical cord, when prayer is the graces come in and, you know what, I think I can do this actually. A little uncomfortable, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this healing ministry. Number four, I, I do, Father, I don't know what, what you feel about this, but I, I, I know that when I take a cold shower for a month or maybe I, uh, I go without meals on Wednesday or for, on Friday, that something takes birth within me that, um, that wasn't there before. So it's that, it's that asceticism that you take on, that a priest takes on, because that, again, the graces come for all four of those. If the, if the priest and me, I, I speak to myself too, if I'm engaged in those four, then I can do the other four. I can become a father. I can become a father. Um, next, I can become available 24-7. The cell phone's on at 3 a.m. for the hospital visit, Father, out of the blue. You don't turn it off. You leave it on. Um, Except next, for between about 8 and 9 in the morning when he's getting ready. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we got to be practical here. You, Joe, got, bro, you guys are brutal. He's got lots Joe of cream. You guys are brutal. Clones. I borrowed some of uh, your, your hair cream. <laughs> that was actually oil. his wife's. Go with that. <laughs> Bring it. Number three. Uh, so so uh, I want to I want to keep ripping on Father. Yeah. Hey, uh, bring, uh, bring uh, it, bring it. So <laughs> the prophetic voice, um, the priest, the priest by doing the first four has a prophetic voice. Mm-hmm. He's unafraid to preach mm-hmm. boldly against this zeitgeist, against this darkness mm-hmm. that this post Christian culture is sort of immersed in. He's simply unafraid. Mm-hmm. He's a masculine priest. Uh, and lastly, and this is the one I love the most. He's got a carpe diem mentality where he simply dives into souls that he does not know. So he's in the fifth row of the Rockets game, like you guys were at the Rockets game last night, or he's in the drugstore at CVS. And if he senses for a second, the census fidelium sort of rises up in him and he says, this person is troubled. There's no script. There's no prayers. It's diving in and saying, hey, sweetie, um, I sense you might be troubled. Eh, Father, I want to talk about, well, can I pray for you right now? The world needs that priest that dives in. No, I honestly, I can say, I mean, we, we pick on you because we're, you know, we're boys, but you do that last thing very excellently. One time I mean, it's, in. it's so inspiring. I mean, you are, when I see that, I'm like, this is a good man and a good priest and you jump right in. Cause, and when I see you do that, that is you at your most, that is who you really are, you know, yeah. joking around, having fun and stuff. That's part of you. But when I see you jump into that instinctively, immediately, I'm like, that is who that man is at his most fundamental. And it's pretty awesome to see. Yeah, we I'm were always at inspired. a conference in Las Vegas and it was like, I don't know, two in the morning or something. We were just, you know how you don't you lose track of time when you're walking around in Vegas. And um, I'm like, where's Father Rich? You know, I'm turning around. He's praying over there over somebody at the <laughs> slot machines. You know, you're like in the middle of like, you know, a casino. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, at, we're at a restaurant in Hollywood and we're like, all right, let's get, let's get going. Where's, where's father? And he's like, he's talking to a, a woman who's going through like a divorce or something. And it's like, it is so instinctive. Yeah. And you're right. That availability and that, uh, that desire to jump in like Peter into the water after Jesus. I, when he does that, I'm like, that's, I'm like, this is, I Pretty love cool. being around this guy. Uh, you, you, the priest and you know, this father and, and the three of us, we have the same, the same role um, to do the same thing. But when the priest does it, I, I often think, when he dives in, well, maybe it's a little uncomfortable or indelicate, or I just, I'm not in the mood to do it. That soul 
You, you don't see a person, you see a soul. That soul can be changed forever. So why in the world would a priest not want to dive in instantaneously because he's led to it through the Holy Spirit? Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit put that person in aisle Amen. three, getting a toothbrush in front of you, and you sense something. If you negate it, if, if, if you're not a gate, if you're not a bridge to heaven, but a dam and, and go to aisle oh, nine, wow. yeah. then you know what? Shame on you. Wow. Shame on you. Mm-hmm. Better watch out for that toothbrush you know, child. <laughs> I'm gonna avoid the toothbrush child. Are you kidding me? Um, I was I was in San Diego. Big shout out to Robert Burner, and I, we, I was burning the candle at both ends. And Robert was really worried about me. He's one of those good laymen that that pray and look out for priests, just like just like you. It, it sounds like you have such a ministry to priests. I know these guys right here. They have a beautiful ministry to priests. I've it, it's a huge blessing to be with you guys every time that we we get together, and it lifts my spirit in such a beautiful way. But Robert was really worried about me, so he's like, "Father Rich, you're going on vacation. You are coming with me and my family." Blah 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 blah. Quick crowd of chopping. And you his are book. not. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so we go away, and I, I'll never forget. It. I'm in I'm in the pool, right? And we're having a little margarita, and we're talking, and we're chatting, or whatever. And I'm relaxed. I mean, I haven't been this relaxed in a long time. And then these people came up. We started talking and immediately finding out, you know, where they are, what their occupation is, what their work is. And they're doing this philanthropic work. I'm locked in and we're having this awesome conversation about, you know, missionary work and all this stuff. And Robert looks over at me. He's like, dude, calm down. Just shut it down. Shut it down. (laughs) Then later that night we're at dinner and somebody at dinner had lost their husband in a tragic car accident. And, and, um, little by little, just listening and being a father, being receptive, just turned to tears and a moment of counsel, a moment of prayer, beautiful. And there's Burner. He's like breathing all heavy. He's like, why did I bring you on vacation? And I I turned to him and I'm like, Burner, dude, you, you don't, you don't shut that off. Like that's existentially who I am. That's the difference between a social worker and yeah, a priest. Exactly. It is. Exactly. That is, that is that is the that is the nail on the head right there. You're on the clock. Yeah. You're you're on the clock. So Jesus had three years, right? Mm-hmm. Three years. Uh, and I feel yeah. like I failed already because I'm like going into my eighth year. I'm like, Lord, <laughs> why well, am I I'm like terrible? Yeah. Look at you, you're shaking your head. You're like, yep. It's eight years in and you are no Mike Schmidt. <laughs> you are no Mike Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Uh, so Do you see how brutal ahead. they are? Like yeah. they're just absolutely. Hey, I brutal. gave you a really great compliment from the bottom of my heart, but I couldn't let that stand. Yeah. The last <laughs> one stand. I understand. So, <laughs> I, I think we understand that what what priests need to be doing. What are some of the causes that are leading priests away from this type of service exemplified by Monsignor Wells and some of these priests that we do need to save the church? What is causing priests? to be so lacking in today's church? I think it's pretty easily answered. Um, I think it's lack of formation in seminaries, like 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 Bishop Fulton, Fulton Sheen was saying in, your, in the quote, the beautiful quote you read. But another thing is, and I'm going to go back to it, and I'll keep going back to it until the cows come home. If they don't, again, I, I include myself in this. If the bravery is not taken seriously, I mean, the bravery is an extension of the mass. Mm-hmm. If they're not bringing in the graces from prayer, from prayer, from prayer, from prayer. So you can spend time from the Blessed Sacrament. You can pray the rosary. But if you don't have that openness, that connecting the dots to prayerfulness, then the graces won't come. So you're more concerned about what time Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy come on or, or the quality of that night's meal or maybe where you're going to go for your five, four weeks vacation you lock it down or, or, that, or where you're going to go out with Father for a steak dinner. 
when you're a prayerful priest, because um, we, we named eight characteristics, but when you're prayerful, everything crystallizes. Mm-hmm. There's, a synth- there's a synthesis to the direction you need to go because Jesus Christ is speaking to you. Graces are cracked open and alive within you, and you have walking orders. A big shout out to the Marians of the Immaculate Conception and Father Seraphim Michalenko, who is a, was the vice postulator of St. Faustina's cause and, and participated in spreading the divine mercy message and devotion all around the world. He was a spiritual father and a spiritual mentor to me. He came into my life in a, in a small window of time uh, when I was just newly whacked over the head by Jesus and like my whole, my whole life changed. He came into my life and and shared the beauty and the ministry of, of St. Faustina. But he shared with me a long time ago, and it really, it resonates with what you're saying right now, Kevin, and, and the importance of the distinction between the mechanics of prayer that we could fall into in relationship to the celebration of mass or the liturgy of the hours. I'm just going to accomplish it. It's, it's my obligation. So I'm going to just celebrate the mass, get it over with. I'm going to celebrate my morning prayer, get it over with my evening, but whatever. But it comes down to, he says, the most important thing is prayer from the heart. So even if you get through one verse of one hour in the liturgy of the hours, and it's from that very deep place of your heart, that is the most important location of your prayerful intimacy with Christ. And I have a younger brother that's in the seminary. He's been, he's been going through a lot of difficulty and he, he has leaned into me and I've kind of babied him in many different respects along the way. And I've been criticized by brother priests because of that. And I've given him a lot of space over these past, you know, seven months or so. Um, and he's suffering at it alone. And I feel so much at peace about that because he, our, our younger brothers in the seminary need to really latch on to the person of Jesus Christ and their prayer life, because it is hard being a priest. It is difficult. It is rooted in suffering. It's rooted in victimhood. And if you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you will fail. And I wake up with that in my mind all the time there, but for the grace of God, go I, I will fail if Christ is not leading me and with me in everything I do day in and day out. And, and that's, that is just so important. Prayer is the central reality of a priest's life that has to be deep down in the heart where core ad core loquitur, where heart speaks to heart. And it's in that intimate relationship with Jesus that ministry proceeds in the charism of whatever God wants you to do in that day. He leads you. Father, yeah. that, was, that was beautiful. And, and Ryan's, I, I think, would you guys agree with me when your prayer life is lacking or maybe you're not, you're, you're yeah. sort of off killer that life doesn't seem right. Yeah. It just doesn't seem whether it's your work or the way you are with your wife or kids. It's There's just like an edge you know, that you have mentally that is concerned with things that kind of... It's it, an over-focus it, on things a, that that ultimately lead to a less effective and less joyful and yeah, less it's like blessed the, life. It's like you devolve into like um, sort of... A, you're sweating the small stuff when your prayer life is bad and you're focusing on the wrong things. Agitation, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. is, is there instead of this joy... Yelling at your oh, kids, body slamming yeah. them. <laughs> Yeah. Get over here, Leo. I body slammed my son on the, on the way to work. <laughs> like a, and then he forgot his phone, drove back. Turned back around. Turned back around. Right 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 right. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. It's great. Uh, 
No, just in case you forgot. And, 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 and just, you know, I think this is important for other fathers or, you know, people who are just trying to discern what God wants from them and, or even just like suffering from anxiety or depression or like, how, what do I do with my job? It's like, this is the antidote. And, you know, personally speaking, it, it's hard sometimes for me to pray with six kids, small kids, you know, and setting it aside time has been difficult in some cases, but I was really grateful last year. I, I, I take my son to school and there's a, a mass and confession there every morning right after I drop him off. And I, I, I've really reconnected to that Eucharistic life after having all these kids and running crazy, trying to keep up, you know? Um, I think the Eastern church calls uh, p- new, new parents, uh, green martyrs because it, it takes them away from prayer. Yeah. You know? So, I, you know, I think one thing that we should talk about as far as priests go is how can a priest truly be in persona Christi when they're worried about paying the electricity bills for the parish <laughs> or worried about what software they're going to use to schedule Eucharistic <laughs> ministers or, you know, was a direct jab at right. yeah, or, just jabbing or me how are these carpets getting cleaned or <clears throat> do, are we making sure that we're paying our, um, is that payroll the tax? Air yeah. Did we the pay the payroll tax terrible. on the maintenance guys and stuff like that? I mean, there's so many practical functionalities of running a parish, especially in the, the modern 21st century, diocesan model that I think really hinders the full expression of the priesthood of Christ in, in our priests. And how do we find a balance around, again, just making them administrators and balancing that also with them being prophetic healing uh, extensions of Christ? Yeah. So I have my answer, Father, but I'm curious to hear what you say first. Well, I mean, (laughs) this is like our conversation in between shows while I'm messaging my staff. Um, It it has to be. So there's a there's a model in the West Coast that that I appreciate, and I believe it's Sacramento, maybe. But they're called priest ministers. And. What their ministry is, is to be a priest. And the administration, all of the other realities are are delegated. And one thing that I that I appreciate very gratefully before God is that I'm discerning the people of God that are in the community at, at St. John Paul II at this at this very moment in Pontevedra. And I'm discerning their talents and their gifts, and I'm recognizing the capacity that they have to take up leadership in these various areas of needs for the parish. And what it's doing for me is it's alleviating the administrative realities. Yes, I've had to suffer it for the past seven months and realizing, man, financially, we're in a really, really, really rough spot. Yeah, HR and our files, we're in a, we have nothing. You know, like going through all this stuff and being above board and, and you know, operating in a, in, a good, in a good way, that's important. And it's a part of my priestly nature to recognize the gifts and to awaken the people that are ministering in these capacities to serve the church in those ways. And then ultimately I'm, I'm letting go. Couldn't there be a vision of the church where truly the deacons restore their, I guess, early role in the church, which would be the administration of the riches and the, and the assets of the church where the deacons are the ones making those decisions or uh, that there is a specific training for deacons to do that where the priest can then fully function in ministry and not worry about the water bill, right? 
I've, I've thought I've thought about that for years. What you just mentioned, and and a deacon becomes a deacon because he he loves the ministry, mm-hmm. he loves Christ, so he could actually earn a salary at the parish. Yes. But but going back to what you said, Father, I think it's simple. And Tommy used to do this. So Tommy spent an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament every day. And when he needed to hire a catechist or someone to direct CCD or whatever it was, what would happen? <clears throat> it was almost like Little House on the Prairie. The way it was done is something would come to him, like Susie Smith is your new catechist through mm-hmm. prayer. And he would approach her after mass, or whatever, and say, hey, guess what? Um, the Holy Spirit told me it's you. Mm-hmm. So, oh, Father, I can't do it. No, I tell you what. <laughs> hey, the just... Holy Spirit, Howard, told me to go get you lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it... it's going to work like that around here. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I tried. Uh, but it, it, Susie, it came to me in prayers. Think about it for a week. So inevitably, mm-hmm. a week later, Susie's like, Father, I'm going to take the job. But once he hit go, hired her, here's your salary, he just ret- he just left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You do your job. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Bam, 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 bam. Because it came to him through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This is the person that could handle your business, and that left him room to spiritually direct the world. Amen. Amen. You know, there's there's a, a quote talking about deacons, and I want to share a story with you exactly about that. Um, this is from Pope Francis recently. He says, "Move the deacons away from the altar. They are the custodians of service." Not first class altar boys or second class priests. And love that. I, I thought that love was that. A, I mean, that's tremendous down to the very, Who very uh, Pope Francis. Francis. Okay. So it's true. And and you know, their whole identity and their diaconia is service oriented. Yeah, and the trend towards the church is well, we need women deacons so they can do baptisms, mm-hmm. or we need deacons to be mini priest or viri pravati. Mm-hmm. No. Deacons. And it's like there's a there's a competition of of clerical state, you know, and, yeah, and it's like that's not that's not it. Yeah, the desire is to make priests basically. I'm sorry, deacons, um, lay priests. Mm-hmm. But I have to I have to share this story because it's, it's crazy. I, I walk into the parish and and there's some financial concerns and needs, and unfortunately we had to part ways with with the bookkeeper and different different situations and. And where was we were in a we were in a great great need, and I prayed, and I'm just like Jesus, listen, you need to send me a math guru. I need help here. Like it's just like you know, I'm stepping into my first parish. You know, I'm like Lord, you've got to help me out. And that very next weekend, like the Sunday that came around, receiving people after you know shaking hands, greeting people, and this guy comes up and he says. Hey, who do you know out there in the diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, and priests? And I said, you know, Father Mike Nixon, Father Tim Holita, Matt Worth. I start naming all these guys. He's like, I know them all. How do you know them all? He's like, I was the former internal auditor for the diocese of Pensacola, <laughs> Tallahassee for 10 years. If you need any help, I'm in your parish. I'm like, what's your phone number right now? <laughs> you know? And it's like clearly, you know, in, in every respect, and I, and I have to say as a testimony of living in this initial years as, as an administrator, I'm telling you, the Lord has provided that in spades because he continues to open up the heavens and drop these people with amazing gifts into my life. And I'm, I don't have to be a micromanager. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have these incredible gifts. I'm going to return to priesthood. Yeah. We need to let our yeah. priests be priests so they can actually <clears throat> serve people the way that uh, Christ intended his priests to serve the church. Mm-hmm. They can pray. But it but it includes an element of suffering the reality of need. Of course. So, I mean, St. Paul was scheduling, always, for Paul example, made tense. I've got people know? complaining about scheduling and emailing and mass emailing and all You're this like, stuff. God. So I'm suffering it. But I'm trying to actively pray and ask questions and consult and ask God to resolve it. 
And little by little, we move inch, inch, inch by inch and, and closer to closer yeah. to, so, to resolve. So, Kevin, would you tell everyone where they can find this book and how they can read this book? Sure. Uh, well, you can go to your local Catholic bookstore, sophiainstitute.com. And I'm going to put Amazon. a link to this on the website, and I'll also share it on our social media accounts this week, maybe the next day or two after this episode airs. Can I, can yeah, I make maybe a, buy one for your priest? That would yeah. be a good, so, so good I, I, thing. I, I'm going to make a little, can I make a little plug? Yeah, so please. I'm, I'm down here in, in, in Texas, and so I drove two hours uh, north of Houston to meet with Bishop Strickland yesterday for two hours. Powerful, powerful bishop. Powerful bishop and, and powerful two hours. Yeah. Um, we were just talking about him yesterday. Mm-hmm. Shared some very intimate um, thoughts on um, martyrdom and in his own life. And um, he's read my book and, uh, and he's asked to, um, I think he wants to give it to all the priests in his diocese. Um, he believes, Father, as you were saying, until a priest accepts that victimhood, lives within the wound of Christ on the cross, lives out of that wound and understands um, he must embrace, you know, not accept the cross, but embrace it, embrace the long hours, embrace the, oh, another hour of holy hour. Yeah, you know what? Another hour. Mm-hmm. Get in there. Until a priest starts to embrace it, there will be no healing in this church. The crucifixion will travel on in the church. But once a priest understands, I am Jesus, Amen. I must suffer, I am a victim. And, and, let's, and a, shepherd, a shepherd marks his identity, whether it's in a chancery or a rectory or in a hillside in Ireland, he marks his identity by keeping his flock. Look at our Catholic flock today. We're all over the place. God knows where they're lining up anymore. His shepherd says, my gosh, I got to keep this parish or a bishop. I got to keep Tyler, Texas or, or a shepherd in Ireland, man, that one sheep, he's off in the hill. He's going to go over, over, over the fence and bring him back. Keep your flock. And that happens from victimhood. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's, I think that's where Bishop Strickland, where my book resonated with him is, is, is the victimhood value. Yeah. So make sure you go out and find this book. I'll put a link on there. It's a great book. Get it for your <clears> priests. Um, uh, I'd also like to, you know, ask for the intercession of Monsignor Wells for us and for our show um, and for him to, um, you know, intercede on our behalf to get more good priests for the church. And uh, I really want to thank you for for coming here. This has been absolutely yeah. awesome. Thanks for inviting me down. This, what was, a blessing. this was great. Absolutely, Kevin. a blessing for me. And our prayers for your continued ministry. And I thank you so much for, as a priest. I thank you so much for lifting up your voice and sharing this beautiful story and, you know, and publishing this beautiful book. Do I get to keep this? Yeah, it's yours. Praise it's yours. the Lord. It's yours, but you got to read it. Uh, absolutely. And, and if you don't like it, keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you, Father Rich. Thank you. Uh, th- thank you mm-hmm. and both, both you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. This was, this was, uh, this is a show that I love. So it's an, I, I'm an honored guest. I feel honored to be here. Yeah. Loved having you. Absolutely. All right. Thank you listeners. And we, we really want to thank our patrons because it's because of your generosity that we're able to have the show. So if you do consider becoming a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Catholic talk show. You'll see many tiers in order to support us financially so that the show will continue to grow and reach new markets. So we express our deepest gratitude to you and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter where we post as well as catholictalkshow.com where you could find every way to listen in or view us on YouTube. And we wish you a very blessed week and we'll see you next week. Mm